ESG has exploded into compliance and business consciousness. Join Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, on the ESG Report and learn about sustainability risks, opportunities, and issues that business leaders and compliance professionals need to know about regarding ESG. Episode, and we are in for a big treat and interesting podcast today. Is I have Yoram Hashiri to join us. Yoram, first of all, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with us today. Tom, thank you very much for having me. I really look forward to talking to you and uh, yeah, like your show. So thank you very much. Could you tell us your professional background? Yeah. So basically, I'm come for business. My my education was more in economics and law, but I've been in the technology world for over 20 years now. As we're Israeli based, and Israel is also coined as startup nation, so we have like more startup per capita than all other countries. And so it's not just a startup as a country, but also a very producing a lot of startup tech companies. And I've been 20 years in the medical field and several device companies, which have done fairly well. Couple have been acquired or went public, and that was pretty exciting about practicing the old saying of doing well by doing good, and short, shortly speaking, looking for impact opportunities. But looking in the last few years, what's happening on the energy side, the energy transition, and the needs that we're facing, I think this is a more burning opportunity, pun intended. And I I saw this opportunity with Nostromo and decided to join the founders and take this company to the marketplace, which is what we're doing now. What's your current role? I'm the CEO of the company. And so tell us a little bit about Nostromo Energy. Glad to. We know that energy storage is like a requirement for integrating renewables. And we're in the energy storage business and our technology is for energy storage in buildings. And why buildings are interesting is because three quarters of electricity is consumed by buildings. And so storing the energy where you need the energy um, has tremendous benefits because you're not depending on the grid anymore. You can basically uh, store the energy when it's abundant and available because we know the grid is underutilized most of the time. So there's always capacity. And now we have also days with access or surplus of renewable energy. And that's the whole idea is to capture that surplus so we can use it when it's not available. And then you store the energy in the building and it can reduce the load of the building during peak hours using all renewable energy. And you're helping two things. One, you're advancing the energy transition and helping integrate more renewables, reduce the carbon footprint of the buildings. You're also saving them costs because you store the energy when it's low cost and you avoid using energy when it's expensive. You also lower the pressure on the grid and you can defer grid investments and provide more resilience because you can flex your demand. So there's a lot of benefits and we can talk more on each one of them, but that's why this is a great opportunity for storing energy in buildings. Now, the specific storage that Nostromo offers is not batteries or lithium ion batteries because those are not safe as we know, and they have also some let's say environmental costs such as recycling or the mining. It's not a very clean technology. It does the job, it's helpful, but we need, I think there's a consensus that especially for infrastructure, I'm not talking about vehicles and portable electronics, but for infrastructure, everybody agrees that we need other solutions than lithium ion. We store cold energy 
which is the energy that is needed to run HVAC and cooling of buildings, which is about half of the energy used in buildings. So we're talking about a very significant part of the energy use of a building. And we can store that in water, the most clean and abundant substance, inside small cells that we can fit into the building almost seamlessly. And by that, we turn the building to a giant battery because all the cooling loads of the building can be stored with those ice or water cells, which we freeze to ice in order to store the energy and then melt it to release the energy. And by that, we provide a clean and sustainable storage solution, which provides the building the cooling needs, which is about half of the energy. And then we use clean or renewable energy to store it. And when we discharge it, we also relieve the grid from stress at peak hours. I know that was a lot of digest and we can now start to break it up in pieces and talk about everything. That's just the executive summary. Great. So what is zero carbon storage? Great. Yeah. So we know that there are times of the day that energy has a zero carbon footprint, right? Either you can have on-site generation like rooftop panels, et cetera, or some days the grid has in some states like in California in spring, you can have more solar power generated than you consume. You actually curtail or you export. So whatever you get from the grid those days in the middle of the day is 100% renewable. That means zero carbon. Now, what happens in the evening, sunsets, and then we use what's called the gas peaker plants. Actually, we shift the entire source of power from 100% renewable to 100% carbon. <laughs> so that's a pretty dramatic change. If we can store the energy during the day and avoid using it in the evening, we're allowing to use carbon-free cooling because we will use the midday electricity to run our air conditioning. But in the evening, we use the storage. And so we can continue to enjoy air conditioning without contributing any carbon emissions. What is cloud-based energy storage management? Great. So the way that our system is architect, architecture is that the brains, if you will, is in the cloud. So everything is managed remotely. So you can, as the owner or the operator, you can run your Nostromo system, the iceberg system from anywhere you are. You have full access and full control of it. And because it's all cloud-based, you can operate it from your mobile or from your computer or anything else. And the fact that it's all cloud-based enables us to do two things. First of all, we can collect a lot of data and use it to optimize the system. So every system has a lot of energy. It's stored during the day. But how to use it really depends on how you want to optimize it for cost reduction. Let me, I apologize. That was a mistake. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that. So going back, the cloud management of the system allows both to optimize the use of the energy. We're using artificial intelligence and some smart algorithms that study the building energy behavior. Where's your peaks? Where's your lows? How to use that energy in the most efficient way to achieve your priorities, carbon reduction, cost savings. You want to charge electric vehicles at certain times. We need to free up capacity. We can take down the HVAC. We can free capacity for charging EVs. There's a lot of things that goes on in a big commercial building. And if when you study the building, you can use the energy in a wise way. That's one. The other is that you can operate multiple systems together. And that concept is called a virtual power plant, which means that you control 
a large amount of resources, of energy resources. In this case, it's demand reduction because when we discharge the system, we lower the demand of all these buildings. And that becomes a resource that the grid can benefit from if it can work interactively. So if the grid gives us a signal, hey, we want you to drop consumption in all this area today at 4 p.m. because we're gonna, there's gonna be a surge, there's gonna be peak demand. We don't have enough energy. We want you to lower the demand. We can say, we got you. And we send the instructions to all the systems to start discharging at four o'clock. And then we lower the demand on the grid in a very significant way because we operate all the fleet from one central system. So that integration provides a lot of value to the grid operator, which the grid operator pays a fee. Okay. This is not just done voluntarily, obviously, and that enhances the revenue and the financial finance benefits for owning the system. So what I'm hearing is a clean or cleaner energy source coupled with a more efficient energy source. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah. I mean, your storage media is water-based, which is clean. And we have developed a way of using this very efficiently and for different uses, whether it's the building purposes or the grid purposes. So it's, yeah, it's that marriage is the way you put it. So let me focus on the building purposes. First of all, how much does this cost to either deploy or redesign a building to utilize the water storage or the cool energy storage capture and release? Yeah, so obviously depending on the size of the building, but if we think about a rough numbers, a let's say 200,000 square feet office buildings or commercial building or hotel, system costs would be around like $3 million. It's just very rough numbers. It's eligible for certain incentives, for instance, tax credits, which, and there's some utility rebates and so on. So your total cost would be about half of that amount. And then your savings could pay back the investment in around five years, just very broadly speaking. And then the system could be for 25 years more. So it's a good investment from any financial perspective. Now there's another way, instead of just purchasing a system, and just making an investment in today's economy, high interest rates, capital budgets are a little compressed uh, still after COVID for some of these commercial buildings, office buildings are still not fully occupied. So there's another way, which is the service option. So basically we can place the system at no cost and you just buy the energy at a discount. So instead of paying utility price, you would get it for 70% of the utility price. And this would pay for the system. And with our, we can provide that discount because we charge the system when the prices are low. And then we, so we can sell it at a discount to the prices when you need the energy. So for the building, they save energy costs. They get all the carbon benefits that I mentioned before, and they don't have to make an investment. And this is enabled actually by the U.S. Department of Energy that we're working on putting together the financing for this program. So there's two ways. There's a purchase option and the service option for the building. And does this clean energy storage and utilization allow companies or, excuse me, buildings to meet their ESG targets? Well, absolutely. And I think more than that, this is the main interest. So, yeah, saving costs is obviously a good thing. But where this technology is really the main impact is really on the carbon reduction. Because think about that. If we take your biggest use of electricity and instead of using of using that electricity, taking the electricity from the power grid, it has the highest 
carbon footprint, you, instead of that, you can take it when, you when it has the lowest carbon footprint. So as if we just use like rough numbers, the carbon emissions from one kilowatt hour of electricity that you draw in the evening could be around one pound. Just roughly speaking, that's the carbon emissions for peaker gas. In the day, it could be zero if you have 100% solar. So if every kilowatt that you shift, you're eliminating a pound of carbon. And over a year, for a typical building, it could be like 200, 300 tons of carbon that you avoided just by doing those shifting. And reducing carbon is main ESG target for many commercial buildings. I can tell you some of our customers, they're actually winning more business because um, a lot of the business is tendered, it's bids. And in the bid, they have to report the carbon uh, uh, emissions attributed to the services that they provide or the products that they provide. And this analysis allows them to be more competitive. A lot of REITs, the investors in the real estate world, they're looking for REITs that have aggressive ESG goals and cost re and carbon reduction, and you can help them with that too. So the actually the ESG motivation gets more people to speak to us than just the financial benefits I, of the financial model around this technology. Yeah, it's, it's hard to get a quiet, peaceful time to have a nice chat these days. <laughs> you mentioned the REITs and other investors who are looking for this. I assume then the measurable nature of not only the cost savings, but the ESG component can be documented and made public, publicized or utilized in the government reporting mechanism as well. Yeah, it's a good question because carbon reporting is still, I would say, a little moving target. There's different methodologies and tools out there, and people argue about what's the right way. I can give you, just give you an example. Some people just use a energy utilization index. So just look at the, how much energy you, you use if over the year and just multiply this by a certain factor, which represents the carbon emissions. And that situation, that measure is blind to the time that you consume the electricity. And we know that the carbon footprint is different during the day. So it's a, there's a difference in if you consume your electricity in the middle of the day, like when there's a lot of solar or you use electricity in the evening when it's almost 100% fossil. So if you use those metrics, there's no benefit for shifting. You'll be just, your carbon emission is just based on your total consumption. And only if you reduce consumption, that's where you would be able to show reduction in carbon. If on the other hand, you report your carbon emissions hourly, then you do see a big benefit from shifting. And that does incentivize your behavior to change and to draw more power when it's clean. It's think about cholesterol, right? You can eat food which has good cholesterol and it's fine. You can eat as much as you want, just avoid the bad cholesterol stuff. So it's the same thing. Just draw the kilowatts which are clean and avoid using the kilowatts which are dirty. And storage allows you to do that shifting. So smart companies are starting to report that way. They're looking at there's some certain coalitions of companies, both in the on the industry side and consumer side, and also some specific market and carbon reporting software companies that are starting to track hourly carbon emissions. And when you use that methodology, then you get the full benefit of shifting consumption from high carbon intensive to low carbon intensive hours. And thinking about that, this is the most impactful way to reduce carbon because how much can you gain just by efficiency? So if you reduce your, if you operate, you keep the same operation, you just reduce your 
a, a consumption by 10, 20%. How much more efficiency can you extract? With storage, you can get 100%. You can move all your consumption to when the energy is 100% renewable, not just 10 or 20%. So if you adopt this reporting approach, which is where the market is certainly going, you can see a much you have much more you have much more powerful tools to get your carbon reporting down so i assume that you are also able to use utilize renewables when the wind's not blowing or the sun's not shining because you're storing that would that also be a fair assessment yeah that's the why we need storage in the first place right because if the sun was shining 24/7 then you know just keep your panels and you're good <laughs> the problem is that we have this beautiful phenomena called sunset, but then that's a drama for the grid. Now we have to fi- figure out how do we continue to supply power <laughs> after sunset. It's called the, the duck curve, so to speak. That ramp up is the neck of the duck when the renewables are fading out and then you have to fire up the your picker plants. So yeah, same thing if you're like in, in a market like Texas, where you have mostly wind power or New York. So yeah, every market has its preferred resource and storage allows you to balance it out. So instead of that variability that that they have. I am in the great state of Texas, where we do have a lot of wind power, but we also have critical peaks, particularly in the summer. Can this system also help us when we reach sort of critical load mass literally across the state or at least in one geographic region? Yeah, I know ERCOT is sending those alerts every summer that don't charge your EV today. <laughs> says, Wait a second. <laughs> I got a long drive. <laughs> what do you mean? So yeah, that's really when we, what I mentioned earlier about the virtual power plants, because, you know, when the grid is stretched out and there's just not enough, and it could be either a resource limit or it could be a, an infrastructure. So there's just not enough wires to deliver the power. So this is where you need the demand flexibility. Demand has to be flexibility. It can match the supply. And when consumers have resources that they can turn on and off based on the grid requirements, that helps, that provides that flexibility. That's what virtual power plants are for. If you have a battery at home or if you have, or your EV can be connected in some way to one of those virtual power plants and you can draw power from that. So there's a lot of ways that companies and utilities are trying to develop this, but they're always the problem is, can we rely on this? Is this reliable enough? Can we depend on consumers? to really be there and reduce their consumption or discharge their storage, whatever they have to help the grid. And that's not very reliable. That's that's a bit risky. So where our technology can help is that it's 100% reliable because you don't have to do, it's all seamless. So because of that cloud-based management I mentioned before, the system, we get the signal and discharge it automatically and and you will see the reduction of the energy consumption of the building, which could be half of the energy consumption of the building. And it can be done when you need this. For instance, if the grid operator is expecting a peak and they know they're not going to be able to hit, meet, it, meet that, they can send a signal and make sure that all the systems that are in that area would start discharging and thereby reducing the demand and help them ride it out. In fact, in the last summer, there were, at least I know more, we were more, more focused in California now. They didn't have a single blackout last summer. And it was due to the help of these virtual power plants and the ability to drop demand when the grid was approaching those critical peaks. 
But as we know, demand is going up, and so we need more and more of those resources deployed. I hope on your next trip to California, you'll stop in Austin and talk to ERCOT. They need some. I sure plan to. <laughs> yep, that's a, that's a certainly a great market, and we definitely look at to expand there in, in the short term. Where do you see this renewable energy revolution down the road in 2030 and beyond? That's a great question. A lot of states and also federal government and cities committed to clean carbon-free power systems by 2035. 2030 is like almost like halfway, (laughs) about halfway. But there is a lot of challenges. This is really reinventing the power system. And it needs a lot of investment, needs a lot of of cooperations between regulators, industry, consumers, and, and investments. And I think the Inflation Reduction Act has been a big force to move capital into into this area. So every incentive dollar that goes into this market, you got three more private dollars that follow because you're helping the return. So it's just, if you talk about the 300 million, 370 millions of the IRA, there's probably another trillion dollars that follows that into different investments in clean energy. So I think capital is there and regulators is another issue because these markets are pretty complicated and as a company is trying to find its way, we need to find how, the way how to integrate this so we can work with the grid operators to provide this value. And consumer mindset is maybe the other challenge that people want to see, you know, how can they help but without disrupting their normal day? Like I mentioned before, don't charge your EV, that doesn't work. If the grid wants to use your EV battery as a storage, that's another question. Are you comfortable with that? And so consumers have to be part of this revolution. And again, coming back to Nostromo, I think what we have developed is something that can allow consumers to be part of the solution, but without disrupting their day operation. Because when our system is operating or discharging energy, the building doesn't really, it doesn't impact the occupants of the building don't feel that. So they would get their air conditioning from the Nostromo system instead of their chillers. They don't know the difference inside the building. So I think more solutions like this that consumers are comfortable to, to adopt and implement because it doesn't change their daily lives will help to move this transition along. Are we going to be there on target? I think that's a great question. But if you look what's happening, all the heat waves, this if I don't know if you saw what's going on in Europe this week and Italy and Greece, those that that's pretty bad. And it's not just heat waves, you got some floods, you got droughts, you got, I mean, it's all pretty, acting pretty crazy. Yeah, I hope that people will, in all these different areas, like I said, this will start to be more aggressive on moving things forward. Jerome, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to visit with me. And unfortunately, we are near the end of our time. But before we leave, if our listeners wanted more information on yourself or Nostromo, what would be the best place for them to go? I think the easiest would be just to visit our website, nostromo.energy. Lots of resources there based whether you're a, a customer, a building, you're a contractor that's interesting in offering this or consulting to your customers, whether you're a, a grid operator or one of the market participants, a utility or a grid operator or a community choice aggregator, investors, etc. Or if you just want to learn more about technologies in the space and how that impacts climate and carbon emissions, like I said, www. 
nostromo.energy, lots of stuff there. And if not, there's also ways to contact me in person and the company. And yeah, look forward to answering more questions from your great listeners. Many thanks. And I hope we can continue this conversation. I look forward to that. Thank you very much, Tom. It's been a pleasure. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the ESG Report. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever great podcasts are listened to. The ESG Report is a part of the award-winning Compliance Podcast Network. If you'd like to be a part of the network, please give me a shout at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. This is Tom Fox. Hope you look forward to the next episode of the ESG Report.